VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And we do thank you for joining us on Crosstalk here on the VCY American Network. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, as then former Vice President Joe Biden was running for the presidency, he said that transgender rights are the civil rights issue of our time. Well, since being awarded the White House, he has made great efforts to transform government, our society, schools, sports, even medicine, as he has carried through on his promise of advancing and seeking to normalize something which is not normal. It's not normal spiritually. It's not normal mentally. It's not normal biologically. His administration has often claimed that gender transition procedures are necessary and has even used the phrase life-saving because without body-mutilating surgeries or the blocking of hormones or taking opposite-sex hormones without such gender transition treatment, his administration has warned of of intense uh, depression. Even suicidal death will take place. Well, while the Department of Health and Human Services continues to advance their so-called gender-affirming care, Another doctor's group has issued their own position paper on mental health in adolescence with incongruence of gender identity and biological sex, and it doesn't fit the Biden administration narrative. Joining us today, we welcome Dr. Jane Anderson, who is vice president of the American College of Pediatricians, also lead author of their position statement, Mental Health in Adolescence with Incongruence of Gender Identity and Biological Sex, that was released February 2024. Dr. Anderson, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's begin by defining some terms. Uh, we're, we're often told to follow the science, at least when it fits a certain narrative. But for purposes of our interview today, let's define biological sex, uh, gender identity, gender nonconformity, you know, gender expression, non-binary, terms like these. So let's start with biological sex. So biological sex is determined by our chromosomes. Uh, It is present at the time of the union of the sperm and the egg. Uh, They come together to give us our uh, 46 chromosomes, and uh, most of the cells in our body actually uh, have um, uh, the biological sex imprinted in them, in their DNA, in the chromosomes. And so XX, generally speaking, nearly always is a female, Mm -hmm. and XY is a male. And uh, the external phenotype, or what the baby looks like when he or she is born, is determined um, by those chromosomes. Okay, so before we let me before we go on, then, so often we hear, you know, as a physician determines at birth. So it's not at birth; it's really at conception that the biological sex is determined. Oh, absolutely, and the term to say the baby's sex is assigned at birth. It's just a, a total lie uh, with words. The baby's sex is not assigned. It is determined by the chromosomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have known that for hundreds of years, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but we, we were denying those terms, I mean, the, that definition here today. So when, then we, when we get into issues like the gender identity or gender nonconformity and gender expression, Uh, define those terms for us, if you would. Well, they are defined uh, very nicely on some on the um, American Psychological Association's website, and they have different um, definitions for all of the above that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, They talk about gender identity as being a person's deeply felt, understand using that word emotion, a person's deeply felt inherent sense of being a boy, a man, or male, a girl, a woman, or female. And um, they talk about um, transgender being defined as, they say, an umbrella term that incorporates differences in gender identity wherein one's assigned, quote, biological sex doesn't match their felt identity. Again, most of these terms refer to a person's emotions, not the scientific biological sex. 
There's another term we don't hear so much today any longer. It's called gender dysphoria. It used to be used, but not much lo- any longer. What is gender dysphoria, and why are we not hearing that as much? That was uh, used as a term that was included in the DSM um, categories of how to diagnose illnesses. Um, the DSM has gone through many changes from numbers, you know, one through now it's up to nine or 10 or 11. I'm not sure. But um, it gives the definition of disease processes for which a physician could bill. And gender dysphoria was included in there as a medical slash psychological condition, which warranted treatment and um, a psychological treatment at the time. And uh, it's still used, but people have tried to move away from it by saying this is not, quote, a psychological problem. Hmm. You know, this is a biological problem that requires medical treatment. Very interesting. And and I know this is kind of foundational for our program today. Why do you believe we're seeing such a an explosion in the numbers of young people who are identifying as transgender or gender nonconforming? You know, that's such a great question, and I don't pretend to have all the answers. I know there are several factors that are probably paying or you know playing a role. So certainly the social isolation that our youth experienced, both just with the use of a lot of social media, so they're not interacting in person with other people, and that really does lead to social isolation. And then the social isolation that happened uh, under the COVID restrictions, that probably contributed. And then there is definitely a phenomenon, again, denied by a lot of those in the traditional medical arena, but that is um, a social phenomenon where teens are lured into and encouraged to identify as transgender as a way of curing any of their underlying concerns. You're a little anxious, you're a little depressed, it must be that you're really transgender. And a lot of the... um, social media sites like TikTok and um, others, um, they will actually, a, a, a team who puts in, I'm feeling a little blue today, they will be bombarded with information on why they are probably transgendered, how to hide it from their parents, or how basically showing them how to talk to their parents so that they will get, you know, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and then go on to um, a surgical intervention. So, they're being recruited. This is a definite recruitment of adolescents. And um, Littman uh, very nicely described it as rapid onset gender dysphoria as a social phenomenon among uh, young middle school and young adolescents. And it's, it's a phenomenon. The medical community doesn't want to recognize it. But this group of gender dysphoric teens is very different than what we saw in the past. Medically, in the past, in the 1950s, 1960s, the individuals who are labeled gender dysphoric were basically young children, males, mostly males, and if they received the appropriate psychological uh, treatment, they went through their normal puberty, and with the influx of their male hormones, they ended up at the, you know, age 18, 19, 20, identifying as male. If they didn't, those few individuals went on to be transgender adults. But there was no intervention provided them other than psychological mental health support. And most of them desisted. 98% desisted. In other words, they reverted to feeling comfortable in their biological sex when allowed to go through normal, healthy, puberty with an influx of the normal hormonal, um, you know, influx that happens at that time. Um, What we're seeing now are mainly adolescent girls, young adolescent girls, very different. And they are um, being treated very rapidly with very little psychological support. That's our big concern. 
Well, Dr. Jane Anderson, our guest here today on Crosstalk, Vice President of the American College of Pediatricians. Uh, Doctor, we're hearing much about the topic of mental health today. We're told as it relates to youth that it's imperative for them to receive gender-affirming treatments. Even for the sake of their own mental health, they must have affirmation to identify as something opposite than their biological sex. Do you agree or disagree that such affirmation is critical for their mental health? Oh, what an excellent question. That's actually why we started looking um, and doing the research for this paper. We asked ourselves, our teens are suffering, and will, and we're seeing and hearing more about transgender teens. Will all this treatment help them? Because the American College of Pediatricians, as I would say most people, we want every child, we want every adolescent to thrive. And we wanted to know, would these interventions help? And that's why we started our review, and we reviewed over 60 articles, research literature. So these are scientific articles in the literature that have been published and vetted. And um, unfortunately, for the teens who are going through this process, there is no evidence that we could find that any of the four interventions or either singly or combined do anything to benefit their mental health. So the four interventions we're talking about that people say can be used and what we looked at, one is social affirmation where um, the child is allowed to dress as the opposite sex um, or uh, has a name of the opposite sex that they feel more comfortable with. The next thing is puberty blockers. That's where a drug actually is provided to this healthy young person to prevent them from entering puberty. And then there are cross-sex hormones where once their puberty is blocked, then at a point where the doctor and patient agree, they are provided with the opposite sex hormone. So a girl would receive testosterone, a boy would receive estrogen in extremely high doses. And then finally, our surgical procedures where a young, healthy girl, we're talking about, you know, Chloe Cole, who is 15 or 16, had a bilateral mastectomy before she ever even knew what it would be like to want to be pregnant or to breastfeed a child. Um, None of those, either singly or together, were we able to find articles that demonstrated good benefit. We found no benefit to any of those. Did you find warning? Well, yes, and that's why uh, countries such as Denmark, Sweden, Finland, France, and Great Britain, who were big pioneers in instituting gender-affirming clinics, those countries have all put their clinics on hold with the caution that they must provide psychological and mental health therapy before they ever consider doing any of these other um, interventions. And friends, isn't it amazing how they have put these on hold? And and uh, right now under Health and Human Services, things are full speed ahead. And and what we are seeing take place, uh, I mean, even through our social services in our in our country right now, uh, where parents are, are, are being threatened that we will remove your children unless you give them this so-called gender-affirming care. Friends, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look a little bit further at these four interventions, the social affirmation, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and the surgical procedures to see both their their uh, short-term and long-term effects that they are having. Our doctor today, has our guest, has uh, done extensive study and all the research that's coming out through these uh, studies that have come out from around the world. We'll be back to discuss more after the break. You're listening to Crosstalk. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, geologist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, is there any evidence that man and dinosaurs lived together? Yes, indeed, there is, Chris. The Bible even describes dinosaur-like beasts in the book of Job, and Job lived after the flood. Also, we see numerous places where native peoples drew pictures of dinosaur-like beasts. Almost every nation around the world has legends of dragons, huge reptilian beasts that sound very much like our modern-day reconstructions of dinosaurs. Recently, some very interesting burial stones have been excavated from tombs in South America, which clearly show dinosaurs and humans together. These stones date from long before dinosaurs were reconstructed from their fossils. 
As far as we know, no dinosaurs are alive today, but we have good evidence that dinosaur-like beasts existed along with humans in the not-too-distant past. It all started back in Genesis. For more on creation, visit our website at www.icr.org. Today's program is a warning, a warning regarding the so-called gender-affirming care that is coming down through our social services system. And uh, yes, the great majority of our medical system, too. With us, Dr. Jane Anderson, Vice President of the American College of Pediatricians uh, and also lead author of their position statement, Mental Health in Adolescence with Incongruence of Gender Identity and Biological Sex. Uh, Doctor, we're going to be looking in this segment here about these four interventions that are being taken, as well as, uh, you know, so often we're, we're told that young people, we must do this for them to be affirming of them, or it's going to lead them toward uh, depression, uh, even suicide in this regard. And and uh, and we are told that we must be affirming. Can Let's talk just a moment about the brain development in adolescence. Are they capable of knowing and understanding what's really at stake uh, for for them and their development and, and, and the consequences of decisions being made now? Well, it's another great question. So um, adolescent brains are undergoing tremendous development uh, from the t- right before puberty until actually age 25. And even Shakespeare has a great quote where he talks about um, he, he wished there were no age between 13 and 23 because all they did was get in trouble. Hmm. Um, so um, it's been known for, you know, hundreds of years that um, teenagers, adolescents, their brains just don't think quite right. It's why, uh, you know, the car rental companies won't rent to them. Um, we all understand that schools won't allow a teenager to take be given a Tylenol at school without, you know, parental permission. Uh, lots of states you can't get tattoos. So we have lots of examples that show us, if not in our own home, that teenagers sometimes don't think properly. And we know now from MRI scans what's changing in the brain. And literally every area of the brain is under construction and is changing. And experiences that the teenager has can influence how the brain organizes itself. Drugs can influence it. And certainly cross-sex hormones can influence it, which we can talk about. But the brain is undergoing development. And the, the main part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex that is involved in strategizing and planning and thinking ahead and organizing yourself and determining consequences and weighing the risks and the benefits of something. That prefrontal cortex isn't, isn't really fully mature until 25. Some people say a little later. So how can we expect an adolescent who, who is still undergoing all these changes in their brain to make such lifelong decisions? I mean, a decision to go into cross-sex hormones is, def- is going to lead to surgical manipulations and trying to make this person look like the opposite sex, that's a lifelong consequence and can lead to, you know, decreased fertility, sterility, drugs that they take long-term. So I think it's actually ludicrous for us to even think that they can make that kind of decision. You, You spoke in the last segment about these four interventions, the first one being social affirmation. And and uh, when when we hear about social transitioning, uh, we are uh, told, you know, individuals, you need to participate in this. Uh, p- those in the workplace are said, you know, you must use the preferred pronouns. Uh, schools will use one set of pronouns uh, at school and keep that from the parents. So what about this social transition? Are we actually harming individuals by participating in it? We actually are. And so when we looked at the literature, we found First of all, there are quite a few articles that talk about social transition is not innocent. People think this is just an innocent, let's play along, it's not going to harm them. It is not innocent. We as the adults and the professionals in this child's life, the children are looking to us to determine truth. I mean, the teachers in school are teaching them math and English and geography and science. 
they're looking to the adults to confirm what is true and what is not true in their lives. And then we've got now uh, professionals and adults and teachers and parents who are confirming an untruth to the child. They're perpetuating a myth. And so, of course, a child who is socially transitioned is going to internalize that and incorporate that into their brain and say, well, if they think I'm a boy when it's really a biological girl, well, then I guess I must be. So they're confirming to the child really a mental delusion. Um, So um, when we looked at the literature uh, at social transition, we did not find that it was beneficial for their mental health. And um, in fact, children who experience social transition are much more likely, as I stated, to go on to take puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. So you would recommend against using uh, gender-preferred pronouns versus biological pronouns? Well, certainly for the young child. I understand that people in the workplace have to do what they have to do to remain employed. I Mm. mean, yes, I understand that. But for the young child, this is a delusion. You know, doctors, when this first started coming out and I was practicing pediatrics, I remember thinking we had teenagers coming into our practice who had suffered from anorexia nervosa and a mental illness where the girls, usually girls, but there can be boys involved, who view themselves as too fat. And they put themselves on horribly restrictive diets. They lose weight. We often had to put them in the hospital as this teenage girl got to weigh 80 pounds and was at risk for dying. And we did not say to her, you know what? You know, you're right. You At 80 pounds, you really are too fat. And so we'll let you continue to diet. No, we put them in the hospital mm. for intensive medical and psychological treatment. And I don't understand how these same physicians who take care of those patients with anorexia can look at a young child and say, you know what, you may be eight or nine, but you know what, you're right. You really aren't a boy. You're a little girl. And so we'll confirm that to you. No, we're going to treat your mental illness. And let me say that so many of these young people who are suffering um, this, you know, mental health crisis, really, they have had preceding trauma. Many of them have experienced what we call adverse childhood experiences, where there has been either sexual abuse or physical abuse, or there's been domestic violence in the home, Um, you know, real emotional traumas that they've experienced, or they have experienced anxiety and depression prior to ever coming out and saying, I think I'm, you know, feel more comfortable in an opposite sex body. No, they have got mental illness concerns that we encourage everybody, get those treated. They need help and there's help available. Okay, so the first was social affirmation. The next one is puberty blockers. What what impact does puberty blocking drugs have on a child, both short-term and long-term? So, um, first of all, I don't think I can tell you the long-term answers because this whole phenomenon of of transitioning children and young um, adolescents is really a newer phenomenon. And we don't have long, long long-term studies like we do in transgendered adults from Sweden. So um, puberty blockers, what are they? The main one that people might've heard about is called Lupron. And they are used in medicine to treat medical conditions uh, such as premature puberty in children or prostate or breast cancer in adults. And um, even when they're used for a medical reason, they have side effects. Um, the drug itself can cause altered mood and depression. The, the drug itself can cause decreased memory ability. Um, do we know what we're doing to uh, a young child's brain when they're at 10, 11, 12 and entering into puberty and they're given these puberty blockers? No, we don't know. We do know that their bone density is decreased. Our bodies accumulate calcium and enhance our bone density uh, during our adolescent years. And that bone density has to last us a lifetime. That's the main time it's accumulated. If they're given Lupron, they are not going to be able to accumulate bone density as they should. And they're going to be at higher risk for fractures later on. That we do know. 
Well, I find it interesting you use the word depression as being one of the side effects, and yet we're told they're going to enter into depression unless you give them this drug. I, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, the cross-sex hormones, uh, how does that impact the body? Well, again, do we have long-term data? No, we don't. Uh, not in these children and adolescents that we're talking about. The cross-sex hormones um, would be, uh, as I mentioned, giving estrogen to a boy in high doses, giving uh, testosterone to a girl in high doses. Now, let's take what happens to a girl young. Again, we're talking about 11, 12, 13-year-olds who are, or, or older who are given uh, the cross-sex hormones. Uh, their body habitus is going to change. So a, a girl is going to develop, you know, a thicker Adam's apple. Maybe her chin becomes a little narrow. Maybe her nose elongates a little bit. She develops body hair. Um, things are going to change that we would normally associate with the opposite sex as puberty. Um, for the boys, their testes are probably going to shrink. They may develop breast tissue. Uh, they are going to become to look more like the opposite sex. There are horm- there are emotional uh, changes that happen with these sex hormones. Testosterone. Uh, men were designed to be a little aggressive, right, and to protect the women in society. And um, so, women who are young girls who are given uh, testosterone may have mood changes. They may become a little more assertive or aggressive or even violent. That's happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, do we know exactly what we're doing? I have to say, I don't think people really do. Yeah. And and then, Doctor, the fourth intervention you mentioned was the surgical procedures. And some have uh, used what they, this is what they call self-reassignment uh, surgery. Uh, your organization calls it opposite sex impersonating surgery. Uh, this is not reversible, is it? No, it isn't. I, unfortunately, some of the physicians actually tell, I, I've heard of stories with young girls, they've told them it's reversible oh, we're going to give you a mastectomy. If you want your breasts back, we can just, you know, do implants and you get your breasts back if you change your mind. No, the body was designed that, uh, with breasts to breastfeed a child. Those ducks are never coming back. That young girl will never be able to breastfeed in the future. That, that's a lie that's being told to them. Um, th- this is not reversible. And if people have not seen some of these surgeries online, Family, Light, uh, Family Watch International actually has some of these online. The American College of Pediatricians has websites. Biologicalintegrity.org is an excellent website, excellent articles for teens, parents, teachers, policy workers, physicians, with all the research there and documenting, you know, what this looks like. Um, people often have to see it to say how abhorrent it is. And there are actually a number of individuals, and, and the numbers are growing, of uh, what they call sex change regret or regrets concerning the transitioning procedures? Yes, and that also is being denied by our American medical associations. It's just awful. So Chloe Cole was actually named in one of the articles in Pediatric News. They were talking about affirming care for transgender children, and they said the desisters or the regret, um, those who regret their transition were rare, and she was an extreme rare person. Well, Reddit actually has a whole website for D-trans people, and there are 52,000 members as of today. Oh, my. My paper, I put there were 47,000, but it's increased 5,000 since the paper was done. So um, regret is real. And um, Tell you what, let's pick up with that right after the break. Uh, Dr. Jane Anderson, our guest here today on Crosstalk, dealing with, well, a warning today regarding gender-affirming care and uh, the sex regret, the, the change operation and so forth. My, it's intense. We'll be right back. For thousands of years, mankind has been fascinated with the question of what will happen in the future. Many have turned to palm readers, horoscopes, or a myriad of psychics for answers. However, one of the places people have refused to look is at the pages of Scripture. Jesus himself was asked by his disciples, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus responded in the Olivet Discourse recorded in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. 
Bible prophecy teacher and pastor Richard Schmidt addresses and explains these powerful prophetic chapters in his book, Tribulation to Triumph, The Olivet Discourse. VCY America is making available this book for a donation of $15 or more. For your copy of Tribulation to Triumph, call 1-800-729-9829. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Dr. Gene Anderson is with us today, Vice President of the American College of Pediatricians and lead author of this position statement entitled Mental Health in Adolescence with Incongruence of Gender Identity and Biological Sex. Um, we're, we're going to pick up where we left off in just a bit on, on the uh, sex change regret. But, uh, Doctor, just give us a word, if you would, about the uh, American College of Pediatricians. Uh, everybody thought all the pediatric groups are just liberal out there and, and giving the establishment establishment line, but that's not the case with ACPs, is it? No. What we try to do is take the scientific research, the what people call evidence-based medicine, and look at it carefully, evaluate it, and then come out with our position statements uh, based on science, not what we feel and not what we feel might be right for somebody, but what we can prove from the literature. If we can't prove it, we don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we did look at this, like I said, because we wanted to see what treatments would be beneficial. Should we, you know, should we change our mind? Should we be going and taking the party line? Um, And we said no. Um, So we've got a lot of position papers on our website. It's um, you can go to acpeds.org. Uh, that's acpeds.org. You can go to Best for Children. And you can also go to our newest website is biologicalintegrity.org. And that's the one that has just all the information on transgender uh, concerns. The acpeds.org one is going to have position papers on other topics such as, you know, marijuana use and um abortion and, you know, different topics. Sure. And and speaking of, you're talking about the brain development. This is another reason against the use of marijuana uh, in, in as that brain is developing as well. But that's another topic, another day. Um, so biologicalintegrity.org. And can our listeners obtain this this uh, research paper through the, the position statement through that site? Uh, I believe it's on there, and it's also found on acpeds.org, and you just have to go to, it says, it'll say position papers. It'll say resources and then position papers, and then I think it's actually at the bottom of the list because it's under um, uh, sexual health. Okay, again, that's acpeds.org. And also check out biologicalintegrity.org as well. Um, so, Doctor, we were talking about the uh, sex change regret. And uh, I, I, you know, I was shocked when you talked about those numbers and, and just escalating by thousands in just a short period of time. Um, this should be alarming to us. And, and yet we don't have this administration or the cabinet level offices dealing with this, calling attention to say, you know, Houston, we've got a problem here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so sad. It's just, it's unforgivable. It really is. And it's very sad because our teenagers, our young people and our teenagers deserve the truth and they need help. And we have mental health therapists and we have uh, psychological medications we can give. There is treatment available for their underlying concerns of anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation. Those are, we can help them and we want them to get help. Now, Dr. Oftentimes, parents are put on this huge guilt trip. Uh, Sometimes it's coming from school counselors or their teachers or can even be a medical doctor indicating unless they approve of this so-called gender-affirming treatment, including the use of drugs, that this is going to increase depression. It's going to increase suicidal risk in children. But you disagree. Tell us us, uh, why. Well, the literature disagrees. That's why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So... First of all, it is known, it is definitely known that when uh, uh, children or adolescents present themselves to a gender identity clinic or, or for a gender-affirming therapy, whatever you want to call it, when they present to the clinic, they have a much higher incidence of anxiety and depression than their peers. And so that is interpreted by most people uh, in 
um, the medical community say, see, they need this affirming care. Um, unfortunately, uh, what we found, as you mentioned, that the affirming care doesn't change their mental health concerns. But con, uh, one of the confounders in looking at this is that um, when people have looked to, at the general population, being trans-identified does definitely increase their suicide risk by about a factor of 13. That's horrible. But you know what? Anorexia nervosa increases it by a factor of 18 to 31. Hmm. that's horrible. Depression in and of itself is going to increase it by a factor of 20. So more than transgender identification does. And then autism raises the risk by a factor of eight. Now, autism is found much more frequently in adolescents who identify as something other than their biological sex. A, A higher percentage of them are suffer from autism as compared to uh, control patients. And so, and then we already said that depression is at much higher rates in those who identify as transgender. So you've got autism already there, you know, as one factor, depression is another factor. And then you throw in the, um, the gender dysphoria. Um, It's no wonder that these teens might be at higher risk, but it's not necessarily because they're transgender. It's because they're depressed. They're anxious. They might have autism. Again, things that need to be treated. Friends, I'd like to open our phone lines here today on Crosstalk. And if you have a question you'd like to ask, maybe you're, you're battling this within your own family, a, a loved one, uh, uh, issues that, that you're experiencing this. We're dealing primarily here today with the, the, the pediatric side. Uh, our guest today represents the American College of Pediatricians. Our number to Crosstalk is 800-733-9829, 800-733-9829. Doctor, I know you're all too well aware of uh, in some cases we've got uh, child protection services that are threatening to either remove children or actually will remove the child from parents who are not affirming of this gender dysphoria. In my opinion, this is very tragic. It's outrageous. What's a parent to do? Oh, I wish I had an answer to that. It frightens us when we see what the state is doing. This is America This was founded on our Constitution where people are free and the parents have the right to raise their children as they want to. Um, Unfortunately, in today's society, a parent who um, tries to fight back has a big uphill battle. We have known families that have moved out of state, just uprooted themselves and moved from one state to another because they did not want their children taken away from them. You need to find a therapist who is um, who is supportive of you. Um, you need to um, find lawyers who can help you. And this is definitely, this is an uphill battle. It's a struggle. And there are fortunately resources on websites um, such as Biological Integrity, which will help parents find lawyers that can help them navigate the system, find uh, therapist who will say, I'm going to deal with your child's mental health concerns and not automatically send them down the pathway of transgendered affirming care. The problem with our transgender affirming care is social affirmation. Those children who receive it, they're, they're much more likely to go on to puberty blockers. And once hmm. children are on puberty blockers, it's like starting a, you know, a plane trip. You know, you're on the plane, you're going to go to the destination, and the destination is surgical um, intervention. My, my. Trip you don't want to take. Let's go to Holly in Sarasota. Holly's calling from Sarasota, Florida. You're on the air, Holly. Oh, hi. Thank you for your program. I know it's probably a long stretch, but I just wonder if there's a connection between the government and this transgenderism and all these things that are trying to make a mentally unstable um group of people growing up to where they just can't think for themselves. Hmm. And I don't know, just wanted your opinion on that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> great. It's a great question, Holly. I think I'm going to take the Fifth Amendment. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I will say this, though, uh, but we increasingly are seeing the government's push on mental health care and mental illness. And and uh, one of the things that struck me is that 
Uh, we know that there's a battle even on Second Amendment related issues. And if we can classify people of having mental illness, you know, we're going to be sure that they don't have a Second Amendment right, that that is taken away from them. Uh, we're seeing other interventions uh, that are working toward that end as well. But uh, it's a very interesting question. We thank you uh, for doing uh, for your, your call here. Uh, but let me ask you, Doctor, if our nation continues down this course of, that we're on right now, what's the, what's the future hold for us? We do. You know, the American College of Pediatricians exists because we care about our future hmm. and we are willing, you know, we are willing to take a stand that puts our physicians are at risk. Homes have been threatened. Um, jobs have been taken away. Um, people have been um, let go from hospitals. Yeah. Uh, we're taking a stand and it's difficult, but we're doing it because we do care for our teams. We want to take a stand for truth. Let me just mention one other resource, and that is uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman has an excellent, excellent book. And at the back of her book, she has a lot of appendices that tell parents, how do you talk to a school teacher? What words do you use? What are you looking for in their terms? You know, what, are they, what words are they using? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how to find therapists and how to find lawyers, et cetera. And her book is, uh, and I don't get any <laughs> royalties, um, her book is Lost in Transnation mm-hmm. um, by Dr. Miriam Grossman. Excellent resource, especially for families that might be um, thinking this might be happening in our family. Great. Let's go to Ann next in Bayside, Wisconsin. You're on the air. Hi, thank you for this topic today. Could you please speak to the impact or effects of the toxins, the chemicals in the food supply for infants and children, um, infant formula, children's food, and how that can affect the hormones and then this gender dysphoria and the phenomenon we're seeing today, as well as the porn industry and how adults are imposing sexuality at an inappropriate age for children. Sounds like a new form of pedophilia. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for asking. Um, So I have to say um, I share a lot of people's concerns about the toxins that are in uh, foods and formula, but I'm not prepared to really talk about that today. Um, I, I know it's an issue, and I apologize that I don't have just a lot of information that I can share with you about that. The American College of Pediatricians does actually have on its website under the position papers a statement on pornography, and we also have one on um, on media and social media and what it does for children. And I think the combination of the social media and uh, the access to pornography um, are clearly introducing concepts to our children that they were never, ever meant to receive at a young age. I mean, one of the wonderful things about reading is the world gradually opens up to you as you learn to read. And the young children, you know, they can't read the big words. And so they can't get into, in a sense, get exposed to things that they shouldn't. But we're exposing them visually to things that they never should have been exposed to. And those things stay in their brain. They change how the brain is actually um, modeled and organized. And so we know um, that children on social media, for instance, spend, the more time they spend, the more likely they are to suffer depression. Hmm. Oh, you're depressed? Oh, maybe you're transgender and we need to you know, start you on, on that pathway. Um, so we know that social media and media in general, even with TV years ago, we watch them. It changed children how they think, how they act, and how their brains actually are viewed on MRI scans. It's amazing. So, and yes, it all plays a role. Thank you for the call. And uh, what's interesting, too, is the plethora of preschool programming now promoting transgenderism and other uh, aberrations as well. We'll be back in one minute. Uh, Mike and Helen, stay on the line. We'll be with you here in just a moment on Crosstalk. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brennan House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. General Michael Flynn was my guest on Worldview Report Sunday, and we discussed the CIA, the NSA, and the FBI's weaponization against people like him. Indeed, we see this warning also coming from Patrick Wood, who has been fighting technocracy for years. Did you know that much of what we enjoy today, whether it's Google and other platforms, 
were done jointly with agencies like DARPA through our government, through the CIA and NSA and other groups. Go look it up. These wonderful platforms at one time for free speech have now been turned against us, the American people, to control us, to designate what is misinformation and disinformation and to shut us off and shut us down. What was once used for promoting free speech is now being used to stifle free speech. And who's at the hand of it? The federal central government in the intelligence arena. Be warned. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. With us today, Dr. Jean Anderson, Vice President of the American College of Pediatricians. She's also the lead author of their position statement, Mental Health and Adolescence with Incongruence of Gender Identity and Biological Sex. Uh, we would encourage you to uh, check it out. Look at their website, acpeds.org, acpeds, P-E-D-S, dot org, and also biologicalintegrity.org as well. Holding the longest, Mike in Sulphur Springs, Texas. Mike, you're on the air. Addy, I've got a question for the uh, lady. Uh, why are girls wanting to do the surgery? To set up my question, uh, I have a subscription to a magazine called Remedis. It's designed for baby boomers talking about their childhood. And there was a story like in the late 50s, there was an 11-year-old girl who was in 4-H. And back then, they would let the boys stay in the barn with their animals. They wouldn't let a girl do it. So what they did, what she did, and her parents went along with it, she cut her hair and put a hoodie on to hide her figure. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then, I could see girls wanting to be boys because they wanted to play baseball and be firefighters. Mm-hmm. Why would a girl want to be a boy today with women's live where they can let them do anything they want? And vice versa, men wanting to become women. Mike, that's such a good observation. And it's one of the things that astounds me, because in the 1990s, we were telling girls, you don't have to act like a girl to be a girl. You can um, be a tomboy. You can be an athlete. You can do anything you want and still be a girl. And now, if a girl is acting like a tomboy or wants to be an athlete or whatever, she's told, oh, maybe you really want to be a boy and you identify as a boy. So we flipped the script and um, we would propose that it's much healthier to say, young lady, you can be whatever you want to be and act however you want within reason, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, still be a girl. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Helen is next in Dallas, Texas. Helen, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. Just wanted to offer some great wording that Christian apologist Dr. Frank Turek uses with those who say gender is assigned at birth. He says, no, gender is discovered at Mm -hmm. birth. Mm -hmm. Just thought that's a pretty powerful way to say it. Great. Thank you. That's all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Doctor, again, we say that it's it's determined at conception, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's discovered at birth. For, for well, many. And, and even before that, people these days it's discovered on their gender reveal uh, ultrasound, right? <laughs> right, indeed. Uh, George is calling from Olney, Illinois. George, you're on the air. Thank you for taking my call. I'm just going to make a comment that we are basically what we eat or consume, what we receive through our mouth, through our ears, through our eyes, and we're allowing the public education system to feed our children chaos. Mm-hmm. Thank you, George, for that. Uh, let me ask you, Doctor, do you see the public education system contributing to where we are today? Library holdings contributing to where we are today? Oh, my goodness, yes. So think about what's allowed in libraries. And our government is, you know, challenging schools that want to take out pornographic material from, you know, fifth and sixth graders' libraries. So absolutely, parents need to be so careful and up you know, and understand and look and research what mm. is happening in our public schools and what are the children being taught and is that really what you want your child to be exposed to? Teresa in Milwaukee, you're on the air. I, I just wanted to uh, encourage everybody to first and foremost take their positional authority as parents over their children and pray for their deliverance. Mm. Joel 2.32, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And children can be afflicted in the womb. So when they are born a certain way, I would tell you it's all spiritual affliction. I counsel God's lambs in this area, and I'm telling you, take authority over it. That's your most powerful 
the more submitted you are to the cross, the more powerful the Lord can be through you. Mm. To, he's already, you know, won, won the battle. You just got to make Jason. sure that you're claiming it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and let me also go to Bruce in Dover. You're on the air, our final call today. Yes, sir. Thank you for your insight. I think uh, with that announcement that gender is discovered at birth, these young children need to have scripture read to them from the Garden of Eden, when God fashioned Eve. It's just that simple. He's mysterious. We're fearfully and wonderfully knit. And thank you for fighting the good fight. Yeah, thank so, you. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, indeed, uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, our body's very unique, and what a wonderful designer we have here, Doctor. And and uh, we we certainly do need to uh, look at the fact that uh, we are made for a specific purpose for such a time as this. Indeed, and that's what we're trying to hold that up. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and le- let me ask you this. So we're just less than a couple minutes left in the program. There are other pediatric groups and medical groups that, that have the same access to the studies that, that, that you have researched. What is compelling them to proceed with their body-altering treatments uh, why are they doing that when, when you're really coming away with such a warning here? You know, I want, we all wonder that. We sit in our meetings and wonder that. I think, I think they, some of them truly believe they are helping these young people. And then once they start down that pathway, the physician sort of gets trapped in it and feels like it, it is helping, so they keep doing it. Um, I hate to say it, but money probably does play a role. Hmm. Um, these procedures are expensive, and insurance doesn't cover it. People have to come up with cash for these um, sex-altering surgeries. Um, Planned Parenthood is now in the business of prescribing estrogens and testosterone. That, that's tragic. It's tragic. And, and, and they're, they're actually reaching many, many young people in this as well. And I think we just lost our doctor here. And uh, yeah, somehow we just uh, lost connection with our doctor, and, and Planned Parenthood certainly is uh, finding a new market in reaching young people and the impact that they are having upon them. Our guest, Dr. Jane Anderson, Vice President of the American College of Pediatricians, a lead author of their position statement, Mental Health in Adolescence with Incongruence of Gender Identity and Biological Sex, released in February 2024. Again, just to reiterate, uh, the... Uh, the uh, websites that they provided, uh, acpeds.org, acpeds.org, and uh, also biologicalintegrity.org, biologicalintegrity.org. And uh, you'll find a lot of helpful information, not only on this topic, but on other related topics as well. And friends, we uh, thank you for tuning in, being informed on this critical issue. And uh, we just can't buy into the narrative that is given out there in our uh, society today that's coming through the educational system, through public broadcasting, through through uh, social media as well. Take a look at this study, friends. It uh, is very much counter to that narrative that is coming today. Well, God bless you, friends. Thanks so much for joining us today on Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from BCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from CrosstalkAmerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.